Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the second episode. There is a feather, and it's... <laughs> woo! Okay. It's from my hair. It's, it's from her hair. Welcome to the second episode of Crimes and Closings. I'm Jenny Olson-Payton. And I'm Dia Kaplan. And today we have um, an interesting <laughs> one to cover. But first, we need to do some corrections. You know what? I do know how long a year is. <laughs> is it 349 days? It is 349 days. <laughs> So I had been like just over and over and over again, and I said that it was just over a year at 349 <laughs> days, and um, I actually got a little dyslexic, so my number, it was supposed to be 394, not 349. So it was just over a year, um, not just under a year, like I said. So um, we're going to go with that. So uh, today, what we do is we cover um, our favorite true crime. Um, we really try to focus on the new and the unusual, um, things you might not have heard bo- heard of before. And then we throw a little bit of uh, real estate spice in there. So um, today, uh, Miss Dia is going to the overachiever. She asked me to wear a um, top hat today. And let's just say I was laying in bed at like 3 o'clock in the morning when I bolted upright and realized... I didn't have a top hat. So um, Little Miss Overachiever is going to be handling it today. So tell me what we're going to talk about today. Well, I invited you to a tea party. That scares me. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I have my rabbit ears. Nice. I like them. the top hat for the Mad Hatter, and I know you love Alice in Wonderland. I do. I'm a huge Alice in Wonderland fan. So let me get you a little bit of tea so we can sit back and enjoy. Should I be concerned about the red color? Um, I didn't mean for it to be red, but it does kind of work with what we're talking about. We are talking about crime, after all. Of course. So. All right. Thank you, ma'am. to help yourself. You can sit there and stare at me because you want me to drink it. Well, I, I will tell everyone that this week we are talking about the teacup poisoner. Oh. Known as Graham Young. <laughs> Feel free. Help yourself. If I start getting a little loopy, <laughs> just know I'm not safe. <laughs> Blink twice. Blink twice. <laughs> That's not going to work on the podcast. I am blinking. <laughs> All right. All right. Graham Young was born on sep- in September 1947 in North London. His mother died when he was three months old. Okay. Um, his father couldn't handle him and his sister, so they got split up between family. When he was two years old, he had a really bad ear infection. Uh, they took him to the doctor. They did a really risky surgery. It helped with his ear infection. But later when they were examining him, they did discover that he had right frontal lobe damage. Mm-hmm. And so they're thinking that so the rest of this might be due to the surgery or the infection affecting his brain. So that's interesting. That's um, one of the... I did a a paper on natural born killers in college. Yeah. And um, you hear a lot people um, that end up having traumatic brain injury um, when they're young, uh, major falls, um, hit in the head by a swing. Mm-hmm. Um, they sometimes have a tendency to later on become um, involved in some crime. Yeah. But not to say not everybody that has a, a, a head injury does that, but it definitely seems to have some correlation. Well, that's your personality. Yeah. Lope, so. Yep. So that's what they're thinking, but he also had some other factors that could be more of a nurture as well. Um, His father did remarry when um, he was about three years old, so his life got upturned again because he came back from his family to live with his father with a stepmom that was documented as just being awful. She was a horrible person. Um, He even said that she cared more about the cat than she Mm. did for him. 
And that'll come into play later. Cats are pretty great, but my kids are they pretty are. great, too. <laughs> um, so in 1959, he passed his 11-plus exam to attend secondary school, something that they had or have over in England, um, to celebrate his father gave him a chemistry set. And it just goes down here. Downhill from here. <laughs> that led to an obsession with chemistry and toxicology. And that combined with his already growing taste for Nazi ideals, Hitler, mm. and the occult. I think we can see where this is going, kids. <laughs> Good combination. I mean. <laughs> He's um, a well-rounded child. He is. He is. Um, so he convinced his classmates to join him in his first animal sacrifice. Mm. And that happened to be his stepmom's cat. Mm. There were other cats and animals that went missing in the neighborhood. In 1961, he used his charisma and his vast knowledge of chemistry to convince a chemist to uh, give him antimony, which is a metalloid, and its symptoms can be used for poison. It can be used for poisoning, and the symptoms are similar to arsenic poisoning. Very gastrointestinal. Um, I don't smell almonds. <laughs> okay, we're good. Um, we'll get into it later, but thallium is actually the one that is the tasteless, colorless, huh. odorless one. So it doesn't so. taste like mango. We're good. No. Okay, good. You're good. Okay. For now. Um, so with that, he moved from animal sacrifices to uh, poisoning mice, dissecting them, studying them, and began keeping notes. The keeping notes is something that will come up over and over in this story. Mm. His stepmother found his experiments, threw everything away, so he learned to stash his stuff outside of the home so that he could still work on it, but it wouldn't be found. Uh, soon mice weren't doing it for him. He moved to his one and only friend, Christopher Williams. Everyone else thought he was a little bit odd, unique, so he only had one friend. Listen to your gut, kids. Yes. Um, he started poisoning him with antimony with low doses over several weeks, so Williams began missing school from being sick. This frustrated Young because his subject wasn't present for him to study and take notes on, so he decided to try closer to home, someone in his home that he could study. Which... Stepmom should have been nicer. Oh, no, we started with a sister. Oh, God. So, he served his sister Winifred a cup of tea before work. Uh, she thought it tasted off because, again, he was using antimony. Um, so, she didn't drink very much, but it was still enough that she was having hallucinations. She felt extremely sick. She was hospitalized. Uh, doctors decided that she was poisoned with belladonna, or deadly nightshade. Um, this led to a lot of suspicions because of the previous mice and antimony issues. But when they searched his room, there was nothing in there. So he got by with that. And he said, well, it must be her fault because she mixes her shampoos in the teacups. She obviously didn't clean them very well. And everybody accepted that. She mixed, wait a second. She mixes her shampoos in the teacup? She mixed her shampoos in the teacup. Oh, okay. I, I don't, I found nothing else about that. <laughs> I know what we're supposed to be talking about, but I was a little distracted. Okay. So then, in February of 1962, keeping in mind at this point that he is 14 years old. Or not quite, no, he's 13 years old. About to turn 14. February of 1962, he did move on to his stepmother. Um, She would get sick, go to the hospital, recover, get back home, get sick again, go to the hospital, recover. Also something that we will hear over and over in this story. 
Um, she prepared a Good Friday meal, and that's when Young decided that he wanted to try a new poison, thallium. With that, um, she went to the hospital again and died on Easter Sunday. Uh, he was not suspected in this instance because doctors blamed it on a prolapsed bone on the top of her spinal column from a bus accident the prior year. Oh my goodness. And I'm not sure why the prolapsed bone would cause sickness. I don't, I didn't understand that one either, but that's what they blamed it on. Well, and then there's that whole shampoo mixing. Yes. Yeah. Alrighty Um, then. Uh, he was apparently his entire life, he was, when he wanted to be very charismatic, very, um, he could come across as very genuine, and so that's what got him out of a lot of this. Um, at her wake, he was bored and he was disinterested in it because he had that much um, malice towards her. So to entertain himself, he added antimony to a mustard pickle and served it to his Uncle John. Oh, gosh. Shortly after that, very shortly after that, um, his father, Fred, began getting sick. So doctors prescribed him a special diet with prepared food, but Young was able to sneak poison into that as well. Um, The doctors finally diagnosed poisoning, but started arguing over arsenic or antimony, which Young had to pipe up with. Also, (laughs) a pattern we're going to see, he had to talk about his knowledge. He had to be the most knowledgeable one in the room. And he explained in detail the difference between the poisonings and why it couldn't be arsenic. No red flags. No red flags there. Um, It did raise red flags. And his father is reported to say, get that boy away from me. Um, This did cause uh, his father alarm, doctor's alarm. They were already kind of iffy about what was going on. At the same time, um, his school was starting to have some concerns as well because he talked about wanting to be a world-famous poisoner. Oh. And his chemistry teacher really noticed his interest in chemistry, especially poisons. Um, They ended up searching his desk, finding bottles and bottles of poisons. So, um, I mean, I was a... Interesting child, let's say. <laughs> I uh, I always have had a little bit of flair for the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't think... I think elephant washer might have been on my bucket list of things I wanted to do. That actually might have been my brother. But never a, like, poisoner. I mean, that's... That's that's up there. He Does it pay well? Well, I, 401k? Insurance? I haven't heard. Okay. I haven't... I think you do get... There's benefits. There are benefits, like um, a cell, oh, a place nice. to live, a bunk. Oh, nice. Um, three meals a day. Time in the yard? Time in the yard. Good, okay. For good behavior. There are days. Yes. <laughs> so, um, they called in a psychiatrist to evaluate him before they went over the top. Now, this to me would have already been over the top, but they did call in a psychiatrist. Um, it's, it's important that he gets involved now. Yes. Um, but they had him posed as a careers officer because they knew that um, they wanted to appeal to his ego since he had such a strong one. He was um, a careers officer interested in what he had to say about chemistry. This is when Young opened up, and by the end of it, the psychiatrist said, yeah, <laughs> he's an issue, he's responsible for the poisoning, and he is crazy. So they notified the police immediately. Um, leading to his arrest. At first, he claimed he was innocent, but then the police found a bottle of antimony in his shirt pocket. And how old was he at this point? At this point, he is 13. Oh, my gosh. Yes. 
Um, so, no, it's this... A little Wait, bit older than 14. 14. 14. He's 14. So um, he's over a year older than 13. <laughs> 349 days yes. later. Um, once they found the antimony, again, he just couldn't help himself from talking, so he just told them all about his poisoning of um, his... Um, friend, his sister, his father, he did not say anything about his stepmom, and then proudly led the police to all of his stashes, where they found enough poison to kill hundreds. Oh my goodness. Um, In July of 1962, he was charged with the attempted murder of three people. He was pled guilty, found guilty, and sentenced to 15 years at Broadmoor Hospital, a psychiatric institution. This is where it should end. (laughs) But we're only on page two. Should. (laughs) In August of 1962, so a month after he was committed, uh, John Barrage, who was a fellow inmate and happened to snore too loud, mysteriously died of cyanide poisoning, even though there was no cyanide poisoning. Husbands and wives everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Might be time to get a CPAP. <laughs> um, there was no cyanide poisoning on the premises. Again, Young piped up with his helpful information of you can actually extract cyanide poisoning from laurel bushes, which happened to cover the property. But again, officials said, no, it probably wasn't him. He probably couldn't do it. And they ruled it a suicide. Oh, for the love. Um, The poisoning did continue with... um, the staff and fellow inmates, they believed that he probably could reform and they wanted to show him trust. So they let him be in charge of serving tea to the staff and the inmates. He... I'm not blinking, ladies and gentlemen. That's my <laughs> eye twitching. <laughs> he served the staff um, tea poisoned with toilet cleaner and the general population um, was poisoned with another cleaning agent. He was then placed in a separate area for the safety of himself and everyone else. A common threat among the nurses when someone was misbehaving was, I'll have Graham make a cup of tea for you. It was that Those bad. nurses have my, my, <laughs> my sense of humor. <laughs> um, he, was, he applied for a release in 1965, three years after he was committed. Um, his father and aunt showed up saying absolutely not. His... Um, Previous three years showed um, that he was not in any way ready to go out into the public. And he's still a very young man at this point. He is a very young man. Yeah. Um, And he, again, was uh, preaching. He would quote Hitler's speeches. Again, Nazis, swastikas everywhere. So that didn't help. After he was denied release, he realized, I need to go along to get along, tone down the Hitler, tone down the talk about poisoning. Mm Mm-hmm. And just became one of the crowd. Um, In 1970, when he was 22 years old, the prison psychiatrist decided that he was ready for release, recommended it, stating that Young no longer obsessed with poisons, violence, and mischief, and he is no longer a danger to others. Which Young then celebrated by telling a nurse, when I get out, for every year I've spent in this place. Totally reformed. Totally. Um, He was released in February of 1971. This all then happens very, very quickly. So it's going to be a very quick year for him. Uh, Right after his release, he forged letterhead from Bedford College to obtain more antimony and thallium for collegiate research. 
He then attended a storekeeper's training college to begin his career in life where he met Trevor Sparks. Trevor became ill mysteriously over the next several weeks. That's unusual. It is. Unusual for his ML. Yeah. Um, I... Doctors couldn't pinpoint what was wrong. Trevor eventually left and recovered from the poisoning, but he still had long-term health issues. So then in May of 1971, again, he was released in February. We're just in May. Um, he became the assistant storekeeper for John Hadlin Laboratories in, I've heard it, Bovingdon and Bobbingdon. I'm not sure which one is right. Okay. I lean towards Bovingdon, so I'm sorry if that's It's wrong. much more fun to say. It is. So, Boeingdon, um, which was a laboratory that, ironically, manufactured thallium. Ironic. Yes. But they didn't keep any insight. It was off-site. Okay. Um, he admitted in his interview to being admitted to Broadmoor, but blamed it on a nervous breakdown from his mother's death in a car accident, even though... He was three. mother died when he was three months, and his stepmother died of... Poisoning. Poisoning. Um, but that explains the lack of his employment. They didn't do any further research. They were fine with that. Again, he was very charismatic. He talked his way into it, hired on the spot. And one of his duties was serving tea to the employees. Oh, good Lord. Not surprisingly, we're going to talk about a few more poisonings. <laughs> Bob Eggle was poisoned with thallium in June, leading to on and off again hospitalization. Uh, while he was in the hospital, Young showed much concern, called the hospital repeatedly for updates, um, was very concerned about his condition and what was going on as he was in and out. When Bob died on July 7th, 1971, Young was chosen as the department representative to the funeral because he showed so much concern. He used all of those calls to, again, document in his diary and keep a log of what the reactions were and how they affected him. Next up is Ron Hewitt. Because Bob was at the hospital, he couldn't study him as close as he would prefer. So Young started poisoning Ron Hewitt, again, showing symptoms in and out of the hospital. Um, he was eventually leaving anyway, um, the company. So once he left, he was gone, he recovered. Next up was Diana Smart. Um, he began dosing Diana Smart's tea with small amounts of antimony and admitted it was when Diana would frustrate him. And he even wrote in his diary that he regretted not giving her larger doses. Oh, Lord. Next up is David Tilson. This is in October of 1971. So we're, we're talking, you would think at some point <laughs> some red flags would be there raised. Are. Okay. There are. But... Um, I'm seeing like four or five more names, so you would, you would think it would have been before that. <laughs> At this point, there were, um, it became known as the Bovingdon or Bobbingdon bug because um, these are just a few of the people that were poisoned, but it was an all over issue at the company. And so um, they thought it was a virus because people were getting sick. That's why it's the Bobbingdon bug. Um, they brought in people to study the water. They thought a nearby airfield caused radiation. They could not figure out why this particular laboratory mm -hmm. was becoming so sick. And in fact, Diana Smart started raising concern, noticing that Young was never affected, thinking he was typhoid Mary. He had the virus and could carry it, hmm. but he couldn't be sick. So there were a lot of suspicions, but they still couldn't pinpoint exactly what was going on. 
but we're getting close. Um, David Tilson was poisoned with thallium in his tea. Even though it's tasteless, Young still sweetened it to try and cover it. It was too sweet for his taste, so he only had a sip, but that was enough to lead to hospitalization. If he had drank the entire tea, it was enough to kill him. Um, again, he recovered, but still had long-term side effects. Um, he went to the hospital, came back, and um, Young wanted to study him more. So rather than a full dose, he just started giving him little doses over time. Uh, next is Jethro Bat. While David Tilson was out, Jethro Bat offered to help the department. And this um, time it was coffee and thallium. The coffee was made too strong for Bat's liking, so he only had a little bit. Again, it was a fatal dose, but since he only had a sip, wow. let I like my coffee strong, so that means that if anybody hands me coffee, I better be very careful. Y yes. <laughs> Um, for whatever reason, this is the only one that Young ever admitted that he was sorry for hurting him. Um, he also never fully recovered from his symptoms. Now, finally, we have Fred Biggs. At the end of October, he, um, Young began poisoning Fred with thallium, which again led to on and off hospitalization. Again, Young was calling constantly to try and get updates about him. He ended up dying November 19th, 1971. Um, they finally had, meanwhile, while all these tests are going on and they're trying to figure out what's going on at this laboratory, uh, doctors did come in and ruled out heavy metal poisoning, but that led to the argument with a man who couldn't keep his mouth shut, saying, in fact, all the symptoms did lead to heavy metal poisoning. I could just see him. Well, actually. I yes. Mean, can... Yes. <laughs> and that's what everybody seemed to say. He, he would not shut up about his knowledge. He had to talk about poisons. And when they said, no, it wasn't, he couldn't help himself but say, consistency. Yes, it is. Consistency. At least our yes. guy's consistent. Thank goodness. Thank goodness some criminals are dumb. Yeah. Um, this argument and his knowledge led to a call from the police because eventually that made doctors and the company officials think we might be onto something here. Police did... Maybe. <laughs> police did investigate um, into it. They did discover that the Bovington bug started when Young started. They also discovered that his stint in Broadmoor was not due to a nervous breakdown, but was due to poisoning. It's always important to check references. <laughs> it is. Again, I feel like I'm giving a lot of life lessons here. It really is. I mean, this could... There we go. <laughs> Thank you, Jenny. Um, they searched his the room where he was living at the time and found huge sashes of poisonings. They also found his diary. He was arrested on November 20th, 1971, having just been released again in February of that year. Um, he asked when arrested, which one is it you're doing me for? But then denied all charges. When they confronted him with a mountain of evidence, he finally did, uh, and especially the diary, uh, he did admit to all of it. And this time he did admit to killing his stepmother. He um, told them that he didn't see them as people anymore. He only saw them as guinea pigs. 
His trial started in June of 1972. He was charged with two counts of murder, two counts of attempted murder, and eight counts of causing grievous bodily harm. At that point, he recanted his confession and pled not guilty. He uh, claims that the diary was the beginning of a novel and the poisons were there to help him sleep, which in small doses could be mixed with other compounds to do that. Um, but I would think by the 1971, though, you probably have something a little better than mixing. <laughs> mixing. Deadly poisons. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, to each their own. Exactly. I mean, teapot or teacup shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> um, there were 75 witnesses. I just thought this was interesting. There were 75 witnesses. 75 witnesses. 75. But the only witness for him was him. Yes, because he had to. Well, actually. <laughs> he waxed on while being up on the stand about his vast knowledge of poisons and toxicology while claiming innocence. Oh. Which led to the jury deliberating for one hour and 38 minutes before coming back with a... Guilty. That seems still a little... I mean, like, I think you would just kind of hit the door and be like, eh. <laughs> Everybody good? We're good? We're we good. agree? <laughs> they're, um, they're like, quick, drink some tea. <laughs> we gotta we gotta make it look like we're, we're talking about it. <laughs> Maybe that's what they really do. Maybe they, after that, I don't know if I would drink tea. I know. I'm I like, can't. hey, who made this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, the interesting thing about the trial though is they did examine the remains of fred biggs and bob eggle finding thallium in both um but that was the first time that ashes were used as evidence oh so just something um it only took 10 days for the trial as well it was very speedy um could you imagine being a juror on that and having to be like i'd be like dudes 10 days You could have shown me the diary on the first day. We would have been done out of here. Did anyone else besides me see him on the stand? (laughs) Yes. I'm thinking once he got up there, the entire jury was like, oh, yeah. Well, all you needed to do was like mispronounce a name and be like, so Bill Ebert. Well, no, I never poisoned Bill Ebert. It was Bob. (laughs) Let him correct it. I think you're right. Telling you. Maybe they did that. Like, could have. Um, he was sentenced to life in a maximum security prison. Where he soon started working in the cafeteria. <laughs> it finally stopped. It finally ended. People learned their lesson. This was That was the frustrating thing about this whole thing was there were so many instances where he sh- could have and should have been stopped. Yeah. But now he finally was. He died in August 1990, just before his 43rd birthday. It was that's really young. Very young. That's uh, going to be me in just a couple of months. Yeah, that's very young. Well, it was listed that he died from heart disease, but it is rumored, because he had no history of heart disease, that it was either suicide or... Somebody had planted some laurel bushes. Yes. Nice. For their own safety, someone did take yes. care of the problem themselves. Um. But through all of this, the positive is that it led to several procedural changes, including the release of offenders, the supervision after release. Good plan. And expansion of mental health services. Good. 
And that is Graham Young, the teacup Nice. Nice. I definitely, I mean, I can just see, I, you know, somebody handing you tea and then being like, <laughs> hold on, let me get my notebook. <laughs> How you feeling? <laughs> Your eyes twitching a little. Are you blinking twice? Are you in danger? Well, from what I understand is he would kind of mass poison. So he would keep notes on certain people, but overall it was just kind of a free for all of, well, if it works, it works. That's interesting. So in what, in all of this, and this is probably digressing a little bit. So around the same time, and I'll have to do some research because right now I'm just speaking out of tongue. Um, the Tylenol murderer. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't think they ever caught him. No, they didn't. So I would be interested to see. Interesting. Interesting. I didn't put that together. Yeah, that's the whole time I was thinking about that. So you never know. There's a lot of, a lot of weird people in the world. Did we just solve something? I don't know. We might have. <laughs> that's okay if he's we might get a letter well actually <laughs> it wasn't Tylenol it was aspirin oh wait goodness. the same thing no okay <laughs> Tylenol's acetaminophen I have to tell my boys that's right. Tylenol acetaminophen Advil ibuprofen and then aspirin okay we might get a well actually letter <laughs> oh my goodness that's awesome that's awesome so that was a good one thank you that was a good one thank I'm you gonna, and I fail Fail. That's okay. Next time. Okay, next time. Um, cool. Real estate. Real estate. So I was going to ask you about this mm-hmm. um, because I just got a call this week and I figured it was right in your wheelhouse. Um, a buyer, there's been a home vacant for like a year. They're interested in it. Um, it doesn't seem to be vacant. Bank, sorry. Bank owned. Okay. So um, tax record says that it's an yeah. individual. Okay. And you said about a year. So what I'm seeing, and we're hearing a lot of it in the news right now, and it has a really cool name, but it's not nearly as cool as it sounds. They're called zombie foreclosures. Oh, I like that. I know. I kind of like it too. Um, so what that means is essentially once a individual gets a notification that there's a notice of default, instead of kind of pursuing some loss mitigation options, kind of like a short sale or a loan mod, um, they go ahead and they just vacate the house. Um, foreclosures uh, happen for, or so they get paused for tons of reasons. So then most likely what happened is the foreclosure got stalled or canceled, and then that house is just kind of sitting in limbo. Okay. Dangerous thing about that, though, is that it's still in their name. So we're talking, you know, natural disaster. We're talking break-in. We're talking mm-hmm. any of that. They're still going to be liable for that, and a lot of companies won't insure properties that are sitting vacant. So um, that's why it's always good to try to f- get in there and look at some of the loss mitigation options. Um, but it does make it difficult because, especially in this market where we have buyers looking everywhere for houses, yes. um, they are very difficult to get buyers into at this time. So, yeah, yeah. it's a crazy time, crazy market. Um, and probably going to see more of those coming up. Uh, we're going to see a lot of them. Okay. We're going to see a lot of them. So, um, well, I hope you enjoyed. Yes. Crimes and closings. Um, next time, I don't think we have any corrections, but I'm sure something will come up. So we need yes. to come up with an, uh, some kind of little like segment named. It depends on if Young wants to contact us and tell us what we <laughs> If we get a letter about. saying, actually, <laughs> we'll have to correct well, something. actually, maybe that'll be our, <laughs> that's, that's your the name of it. Well, yes, that is awesome. Okay. So we're actually, we, we found a name for it. So it's the well actually corner. <laughs> So, all right. Well, you guys have a great couple of weeks. We look forward to seeing you um, in, in a couple of weeks. And, and uh, we appreciate all of the positive response we've gotten. And we yes. hope to be doing this for a while. So have a great rest of the day. See you later.